Welcome everyone. I'm Sue Barber, author, former IT director for a Fortune 500 company, turn executive coach, and this is the Visibility Factor podcast, where we explore how to raise your visibility and play bigger at work and in life. We'll explore key topics and welcome guests that help you shift your thinking about yourself so you can see new possibilities for your leadership. I'm on a mission to create a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Are you ready to take the next step towards a higher level of visibility for yourself? Let's go. The Visibility Factor podcast is brought to you in part by the 90-Day Visibility Breakthrough Accelerator Program. Do you believe deep down inside that you can have a bigger career, but you don't know how to get there? You can keep doing what you're doing, but what if there is a better way that could accelerate your progress? This 90-day program is a powerful experience that is unique to you and provides dedicated time to focus on your specific challenge. It gives you the time to develop big ideas and plans to execute them, including the tools, resources, and motivation needed for success. Hundreds of clients have used this same program to take them to the next level in their career and to create a better life. Join me in a 90-day experience that focuses on challenges like creating a strategic plan, how to lead an organizational change, or prepare for a career transition. This dedicated time will help you see new possibilities, recognize your strengths, and take away key insights that can be leveraged immediately. Are you ready to create a breakthrough for yourself? If you're interested in learning more, visit susanmbarber.com forward slash visibility breakthrough accelerator for more information and to sign up for the program. I look forward to seeing you there. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Visibility Factor podcast. This is Sue Barber, your host. I am so excited today to bring my guest, Christina Pater, to you. She is going to be telling the most crazy stories, I'm sure. We have been exchanging messages back and forth, and every message I get from her just makes me laugh. So I'm excited to have her share her story, her book, and her, you know, her learnings about what she has been doing in her life with you. So welcome to the show, Christina. So happy to be here, Susan. Thank you. I would love it if you would give a quick intro of yourself and your background so that the audience can learn more about you. Sure. I am Christina Pater, as aforementioned. I am currently a story consultant and a screenwriter and a recovering corporate marketing research executive, as well as a former journalist. So I know that you and AJ Harper, who most people who listen to my podcast know her name just probably by heart because I talk about her all the time. So is that how you and AJ met is through screenwriting? Actually, no. AJ was my editor in 2011 when I was uh, working on a book with Lisa Nichols. And I was telling my story about uh, volunteering at Ground Zero. And AJ and I worked together on that story. I wanted to quit multiple times because I wanted to make sure I got it right. I was so dedicated <laughs> to, to just getting the story right and, and having it be inspirational and, and being so careful to not unintentionally um, I just say anything unintentional that would be taken the wrong way or perceived the wrong way. And so that was my first experience working with AJ. It was so fantastic. And then later on, of course, we totally bonded because her partner is from Wisconsin, where I like a short distance from where I went to did my undergrad. And then um, years later, we reconnected and she had said to me like through that process, she's like, you'd be a great developmental editor. 
And I'm like, ah, I'm a screenwriter, like not another, you know, I'm like, I've already did all these other things. <laughs> but then I was like, but tell me more. That's kind of cool. And so we were later colleagues at Heroic Public Speaking, where we both worked as writing coaches and instructors uh, and private coaches for the students. And so we've been longtime friends. We've been instant, luckily for me, like just, she's just one of my dearest friends. I agree. Oh, she's amazing. Totally wonderful. Okay. So I have so many places to start. Um, listeners, I don't even know where to go because uh, the questions and the back and forth that we've been having has been so really fascinating to me uh, because her book called The Hollywood Approach uh, is really, really just a cool title, first of all, but how she applies what she's doing to stories and, and leveraging different movies and the examples, I think, really help people understand. So tell us a little bit about the book. And then I'm dying to know how you chose which movies to include as the as the movies that you talked about throughout the book. Sure. So the book is the core message of the book is that we can all be our own hero or heroine. And it applies the discipline of the screenwriting craft to our lives. So I, I translate the way I would approach writing a fiction hero or even a nonfiction hero. And I help people apply those same principles to their real life uh, so that they can get clarity, make a badass game plan for themselves that they're excited about and just kick ass in life. And um, so it's a lot of fun. It's deep. People say my, my students and my readers say it's deep, but it's not heavy. Uh, so we have a lot of fun with that process. So it, it, what it does, it's a, it's a creative protocol that shakes loose new ideas and new distinctions for a person to implement in their life that aren't hard or aren't big. They don't involve car explosions or jumping off a building or skydiving or landing a plane in Lukla Air Force or Air Base. Um, that, which is like a three or two kilometer, like airstrip in the Himalayas. So, you know, it's oh, not wow. like Tom Cruise piloting <laughs> moves and stuff like that. It's just like, what's this little distinction that made you successful in the past that you can apply to your current goal to move you forward in a comfortable, like fun, you know, comfortable, like way that works. And when we do things that work and we're, we're having fun and we're playing even, we are more likely to continue with on our path of, you know, getting our thing that we want. So that's what the book is about. And your second question was, how did I pick the movies that, uh, the, the key three movies do you mean, or all the movies? Cause I think there's about 50 yeah, or 60 well, movie references in there. I knew there was a lot more than that, but you talk about like the three key movies that you kind of take people through in, in the book, which I just thought were really cool movies, all very different, but I was just wondering how you chose those out of all of them. Yes. It happened organically a bit because I was hired before I ever even knew there was a book in here. I was hired by a company to try to train their team. It was a team of miners, mining. It was a mining company in Australia. And I met this guy on a plane one day and it was like an eight hour flight. So he got to hear, we got to hear each other's life stories and ambitions and all this stuff. And he's like, could you use this to help my people be more modern and not be so like, um, old school? And I'm like, 
sure. Like, because it's goal setting, it's culture building, it's emotional intelligence, it's all these elements. So I'm like, yes, we could do that. And he's like, could we, and for whatever reason, we were talking about Jason Bourne on the flight. And he's like, could we use Jason Bourne? Like, could, could, could you help these people see themselves as more Jason Bourne? And I'm like, yes, because we can track the same character strengths, character flaws, and maybe they're more able to admit their flaws if they also understand Jason Bourne's flaws. And so it's what I call character DNA in my book. Um, And so that was kind of the beginning of Jason Bourne. And then because I was then training people on how to be more like Jason Bourne in your life, that was kind of one of the early inklings. But there was a lot of things that were coming together at the same time, a lot of influences that came together. But that was one of them. And I just, the more I watched that movie, probably over a hundred times to analyze it, to use examples, to make sure they were accurate, to make sure I was doing a 360 degree view of that character in these training sessions, um, just the more comfortable I got. And I'm just like, there can be no other, there there can be no other hero. And so then um, the other character that I love so much is Aaron Brockovich. And I love the real Aaron Brockovich. I love the movie Aaron Brockovich. I love Julia Roberts' portrayal of Aaron Brockovich. In this book, I wanted to use three. I was clear that I wanted to use three characters. I wanted them to be different genre, different, it have a diverse cast, age, race, gender, um, as much diversity as I could with only three examples. So uh, Aaron Brockovich. And also I love that story because it's a real story. So if somebody tries to say to me, <laughs> you know, you just made this up, like all these things just happened. It's like, no, there is also real life stories and we can study all of those uh, as well. Um, but it was important to have a, a, a true, a nonfiction story in there. And then Aquila and the Bee is the third one. So I wanted a younger, younger person. I wanted stories with positive outcomes. I did not want to feature main stories where there was any kind of violence or abuse against the main character, with the exception sort of of Jason Bourne, but he was more an equal than a, than a, a victim or a, you know, a survivor of something. Um, and so that was it. Those were the those are the three characters that I track in every chapter and use as teaching examples in each chapter throughout the book. So that's the distinction of those three movies versus the many, many other movies referenced and used in the book. Well, I love all three of those movies. So when you said those three, I thought, oh, my gosh, I love all of them. And that's why I was so fascinated, because they are so very different to think about how you weave those stories throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think your thoughtfulness behind choosing them makes makes it really clear for the reader, right, that you're choosing them intentionally and that you have really good reasons for choosing them that will help them really understand the teaching points that you have and how to apply them. So one of the things that you talk about is your story MBA. So I know you're all about stories and helping people you know, create their own stories for themselves a little bit more than maybe they realized. But tell me more about that and how you think that helps clients when you think about that and talk about that with them. Sure. So there are numerous studies out there. This is pre-pandemic that showed around the world, the average person watches five hours per day, every day of TV, TV and movies. 
And that those, those uh, statistics are from companies like Eurodata and Nielsen, and they cover all regions of the world. So not just North America and South America, but uh, several countries in Europe, several countries in uh, Asia Pacific. So all regions of the world, <laughs> and it's like people all around the world. And so if you add up five hours a day, uh, we're not taking weekends off. We're not taking summers off. So that is really the equivalent of an MBA every two years. For, for If you add up, it's 35 hours a week. That's more than our children or the same amount as our children spend in school. That's how much time we spend in an MBA or executive MBA program. So if you add that up um, across the years, so you think about how many years you've been watching TV. For me, it's been, been probably since I was five um, and I, you know, I go back and it's not to be technical about, well, I probably didn't watch five hours a day then, but okay. So let's say 20, um, let's say 20 and let's pretend I'm 40 for the purpose of this conversation. That's 20 years. <laughs> and let's call that 10, the equivalent of 10 MBAs, like considering we would go, go get our MBA in two years. That's like a that's like 10 MBAs of story consumption. So we are, our neural pathways are conditioned to receive stories about a character who is in pursuit of a goal and the obstacles that they must overcome in order to achieve that goal. So that is broken down in its simplest format of character, goal, obstacles. And so, of course, there's a lot of things that we see and hear in, in feature films and in television shows about these characters that we come to love and we come to follow. Uh, but those are the core elements. And that's what the that's the point behind this, what I call the story NBA. It's that we are primed to receive stories, to hear stories in a certain way, in a certain format with certain elements. And when those are missing, so what, what, how that pertains to my, I have corporate clients and then I have private clients that I work with on their books or story development for speeches, keynotes, um, sometimes screenplays. Uh, but in the corporate like marketing setting, what's often missing is the obstacles or is the character is what I call flossomeness. There's elements like to tell a fully dimensional story and to tell a story in a way that will light up all seven areas of a person's brain and hook them in to want more. So what happens is when we watch a feature film, um, or, you know, a, a story when we listen, watch, or read a story that touches on these seven areas of the brain, activates them, gets them thinking, gets the juices flowing. When that happens, our body produces the two most powerful hormones that we can produce, which are oxytocin, the pleasure hormone, and dopamine, which is um, sometimes known as also a pleasure hormone, but uh, like an addiction type of hormone. And suddenly the concept of Netflix and binge or binging your favorite series makes a whole lot more sense because we have, like, this is physically what's happening in our bodies. So um, that that's my summation of, <laughs> of that. Wow. I've never, <laughs> I love how you kind of compared it to an MBA, right? There's no, you know, no doubt that that's how many hours it would take to get an MBA, how much studying you would do. But most people don't think about their time watching TV and 
you know, they're more looking at it for probably the surface view of it, right? What is the story about? I love these characters. I love that. But I don't think anybody probably as intentionally as maybe you are thinking about putting together that story. They may talk about it after. Say, I love that story. I love that episode. I love this situation. Uh, But I love how you're trying to tie it together in a way that they can start to see that the reason they're addicted to that show or the reason they're sitting in front of it and watching the entire season is is some brain chemistry behind it that is really impacting that. Can you say a little bit more about that and how you realized that was true? Yes. Well, for me, it was a deep, deep curiosity. I've always been fascinated by the the fact that we that humans use not uh, 5% of our brain for conscious decision-making and the other 95% is driven by our subconscious mind. So that little tidbit as a former researcher, it's like, that's just such a vast percentage of our brain that is not allegedly, or at least consciously in use, not in use for conscious decision-making. So it's like, well, what can you do to tap into? Like what's going on in that 95%? Like that's always been my like curious KP question is like, what's going on in there? Because if our subconscious is then leading us to make decisions, how is that happening? And what else is going on in the subconscious mind that we need to know about? So story works on a subconscious level. So we talk about in uh, personal development and personal growth, we talk about how to soothe our subconscious mind with meditation, maybe with tapping with these other modalities that are really good for what I would, I say it as nurturing the subconscious. But what a lot of people don't realize is that stories and storytelling works on a subconscious level as well. So we can be actively choosing not only the stories we consume with external media, but also our own stories that we are thinking about, that we are retelling every day, that are top of mind for us to also nurture our subconscious mind to make decisions, to keep us on our path, to facilitate us moving forward, to give us confidence, to give us what we need to be going after what we really want in life. And so your question was, yeah, saying more about, about like that whole picture. So it all started with the curiosity about the 95% of our brain is ruled by the subconscious. My curiosity about what else is going on in the subconscious mind. And then really what drove it for me was this intersection that I reached in my life and career when I was working as a story analyst at Gold Circle Films in Hollywood. And my job every day was to read screenplays, (laughs) read and analyze screenplays and, and say, is this where this character is going from point A to point B, is that something we want to see in the world? Like, so my job was like a green lighter, but I was like in the early, early stages. I didn't have a lot of power. So don't get too excited, but I was somebody going, Hey, someone else (laughs) to look at this story. I would be the one to give it a consider or a pass in the early stages of that production company. And so when I didn't give it a consider, when I had to give it a pass, I would say, "Mm, you know, this character's uh, journey kind of breaks down at the midpoint. Like it's, either, you know, maybe not exciting enough. It it just doesn't seem legit that he he or she would do this, or, you know, it would just be identifying the problems with the character 
DNA and also the, what I call character DNA, but also the, the story, the hero's journey, like the, the, pro, the, you know, just the holes in the story. So I'd be identifying the holes in the story, or I'd be like, Ooh, this is a great story. Like somebody take another look at this one. Um, so that was happening when I was living in LA, uh, 10 years ago, it was 10 years ago, this time right now. And at the same time, I had been having panic attacks in the water for 10 years at this point, 10 years ago. Um, and while this, if for whatever reason in this time period, the intensity of these panic attacks kicked up like tenfold and became absolutely debilitating for me. And so with that fact of 95% of our mind is ruled by the subconscious, I could not logically link the panic attacks to anything else and then this whole story thing like just kind of came together in this confluence and sparked my own curiosity and then my own decisions at that point. And then like that ultimately led to this book, you know, this book and all many, many other things. But that was kind of the crux of what happened 10 years ago, first quarter of Wow. 2013 oh for me. Your life is so fascinating because now you live in the Dominican Republic, correct? I do. <laughs> I do. Which I think is is a really cool thing. I bet a lot of people are very jealous hearing that right now, especially because we got, you know, seven inches of snow last night here in Chicago. Um, not exactly what you, you are probably having it in your location at all. Uh, so I want to dive into a couple things that you just... No, but I will. I would. I would like the. I would like the listeners to know, if I may, that I did time in Chicago, <laughs> seven years, True. corporate stint. So like, don't True. mad at me. And yes, I do hear that a lot. I hear like, "Oh, you're so lucky. I'm so jealous." And also, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, as I think we've exchanged in emails. So I did plenty of time in the cold weather. Make your conscious choices, everybody. And so you get to choose where you that, want to live, right? Yeah. That. If you need to figure out how to get to a warmer climate. It, just go ahead and read the book and plug in your answers. You can do. Yeah, there. Yeah. Make it happen. Okay. So I want to go first into your fear of water. So in the book, you talk about basically jumping off a waterfall to help you get past that. How did you come to that as the, the, the action you were going to take to make that happen for you? And uh, yeah, so I... I describe in the book, there was one day where I had the worst panic attack with the least exposure. So in early days, I was still cliff diving and bringing friends like, hey, let's go to this place in Capri. And this is where we jump off the cliffs. And it's so cool. And um, and I kept doing things to be like, oh, I'm not someone had to tell me I was having a panic attack in the early days. She's like, oh, you're what, what you're describing as a panic attack. I didn't even know what it was. And for people who are not initiated, hope you stay that way for the rest of your life. But it's, it's like having a heart attack. Uh, it's uncontrollable for me. My, uh, felt like I was being, um, suffocated or strangled. I would lose. It felt like my throat, my airway was closing up and your heartbeat increases and, you just feel like out of control and like you just need space and air. Um, so that's what it feels like. And there can be varying degrees. Um, and so people sometimes lump in fear, anxiety, and panic attacks together. I, I actually think that they're different things with slightly different triggers. So for me, the panic attacks were completely 
unconscious. I would say subconscious, they were unconscious. These last five years in LA, the panic attacks have gotten worse and worse and worse and I don't know what to do. So this is literally what I did. I'm just like, give me a sign. Then somewhere in there, my mother called. And then the next thing I did was I was researching the DR. And I, that same day, I read about a place called 27 Waterfalls. And it's where you hike up for two hours. And the only way back down is air evacuation or you jump into these falls. And I was instantly convinced that this would be a kind of exposure therapy because I had been trying everything. I had been trying to do my own thing. I had been trying to be gentle. I'd been trying to be like, you know, whatever, but I, I needed something like that. And I just thought that's going to do it. And I'm like jumping in, like, you know, all these times, like something's got to shake loose in the subconscious at that point. I just really believed in it. And so I started, uh, that was it. That's how I got to the Dominican Republic. I went to my cousin's wedding and then I took a bus like 10 hours to the whole other side of the island. And I thought I was going to stay there for a week and just jump. And then I didn't. So I ended up extending to like 10 weeks. And I, I mean, I just had all these adventures in between and, you know, and throughout and all this stuff. And um, so that is how I decided to jump into 27 waterfalls to confront my panic attacks. Thank you for sharing that. So you talked a little bit about story. You talked a little bit about subconscious and you talked a little bit about how the brain works. I would love for you to talk, how is all of that connected to someone who has imposter syndrome? Because so many of my clients, so many of the listeners have some form of imposter syndrome that is holding them back from being visible. And I'm curious from your experiences, stories, um, people that you've worked with, has that been true for them too? And how did you help them move past it? I think when the, the framework that I would, would put that into is a framework of character goal obstacles. And so if a, char- if a character, if a person has the goal of becoming or being this certain person, whoever the whoever the, whoever the person is, right? A lot of writers actually have this, believe it or not. They, they hesitate to call themselves writers or screenwriters um, because of different ideas or beliefs, self-imposing beliefs that they subscribe to. And, and so they have, like, they just have this resistance. Like it's like set up as this resistance in moving forward to their goal of writing the movie, writing the book, writing the thing. And so that's kind of where I, I think it's it's maybe a little bit easier to put it into context of someone um, who, what are they feeling like they're an imposter of? Um, and of course we hear it all the time in like, well, I don't think I'm a you know senior vice president yet, or I don't believe I'm a manager or I don't believe a whatever, right? We, we yes, it's easy to relate to, but I'll maybe talk about it in this, in this context. And, um, I think how, how I help people, I mean, is really, it's going through the Hollywood approach protocol of examining the, the character DNA, um, examining your past stories, your narrative forensics in the Hollywood format with, you know, not just saying like, oh yeah, in the past I was a Girl Scout. So now I can be a writer or whatever. Right. Or, but it's going through 
uh, 10 or so different facets of past success stories and using those, picking the right stories and using those to nurture your subconscious to get to your current goal of where you want to be. And so I think the imposter syndrome, um, it, you know, I think there's like some investigation to be done there to analyze where is the disconnect for you? You know, where is the disconnect for this person? It's like you're, you know, to maybe one of us on the outside, it's like you're writing a book, therefore you're a writer. What's the problem? <laughs> you know, what's what's the, what's the problem? And and how do we, but it's like, yes, in my bluntness, um, but it's like asking better questions. It's asking deeper questions to look at yourself, look at your situation through a different lens. Um, and sometimes that lens of, of like, okay, what if Julia Roberts or you pick your person, Julia Roberts or Octavia Spencer or Michelle Yeoh or whoever, whoever your person is, um, what if that person were playing you in a movie right now and they are a writer they're writing a book, but not able to call themselves a writer. Like, what would you say? Like, and so sometimes it's easier to step out. It's, it's just another technique. And so not every single technique works for every single person, but there's some exercises that can help shake loose new ideas, shake loose creativity, um, come up with some answers, some theories, some threads to explore and to be curious about where, you know, where is that disconnect happening why is it happening? Asking a lot of questions about what will it take for you to, and if the manifestation is, well, I'm just, I don't call myself a writer. I don't consider myself a writer, right? Because this imposter syndrome um, manifests in all kinds of different ways. You know, is it, is it really about what you are willing to call yourself, what you are calling yourself? Is it about more how you're feeling and your comfort level? Or, you know, is it something else entirely? So really getting to the crux of the definition of what that means to a person and where they want to get to. That's the most, I mean, that that's one of the critical elements of story and living our own stories is where are you trying to get to? How do you want to feel when you're there? And what are the, what are the steps in between? What is, what are the obstacles? What are the things stopping you? And then what are all the positive things we can put in place that reinforce your achievement of that you know, your real, your real mm -hmm. self coming through. Oh, I, I mean, it's fascinating when you think about it. There are so many characters out there that you can emulate or think about the things that the strengths that they have that you wish that you had or uh, that you wish you could be more like. Um, one of my clients, uh, we were talking about how she could maybe show up differently. And I said, like, who would be the person that you admire that you really think is amazing? And she um, is a lawyer and, and named Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which I think, you know, in this week of women's, well, this is Women's History Week and Month. And I think it's been so interesting because when you try to keep reminding um, her about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, say, what would RBG do, right? What would she do in this situation, right? She went in front of, you know, a Supreme Court of Men and talking about this situation and found a way to work through it. And I know that you talk a little bit about her in your book in terms of bulletproofing. So can you share a little bit about what bulletproofing means and how you really see what Ruth Bader Ginsburg did to help herself get through that? 
Sure. Well, first of all, we all love Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? Because what she would do first is a five minute plank and then she would go into court and tell everybody the way it was going to be. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. Working out till, you know, right before she passed away. I mean, she was amazing. Just amazing. Yes, for sure. So yeah, the concept of bulletproofing is something I made up myself. This is not a technical Hollywood term that anyone will see anywhere, but it's about, um, if you've ever seen the movie, um, the bodyguard with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner from the nineties, how, I don't know why this movie sticks with me so much, but if you haven't seen it for anyone listening, it Whitney Houston is a famous singer in the movie. And Kevin Costner is a, like a former secret service guy who is signed to her security detail. And all throughout the movie, he is just constantly walking the perimeter. He's checking every window door lock, everything. And he's kind of just like, understated and cool about it, but he's just always walking the perimeter. And I feel like the concept of bulletproofing is like yourself being your own guard of your goals and of your sacred mission, whatever that next sacred mission is. And you're checking the perimeter of, is this still my goal? Is this still the right path I'm on? Do I have the right allies in place? Like asking yourself the same questions that a screenwriter would ask in the movie. Like, are these things holding up to deliver a realistic, successful story? And so you're just checking, you're checking the, like the 10 cell strength of your own game plan. And you've, by the time you, bulletproofing is chapter 14 is the last chapter of my book. By the time you get to that one, you know what all of those things are and what they do. And you have now, if you've done the exercises, you've practiced asking yourself questions and just centering with yourself and being like, okay, is this, is this the right thing? And, or should I adjust something? Do I, should I adjust something? Should I make, you know, whatever the next step bigger or smaller, or is this still exciting? And are these the right people in place? Um, so it's just really like reinforcing, it's reinforcing your plan. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and such a good way to think about it. I, I think the mm-hmm. importance of what the work that you're doing is that you are sharing a movie or a character that people can relate to and have probably seen the movie or they can watch it now and really understand more about how that person's behavior shows up. And like you said, he's being really cool about it as he's checking the perimeter and, you know, nobody outside of the people, you know, who understand his role know what he's doing, but he is constantly scanning for threats to her or challenges that might get in the way of her doing what she does on stage. And yeah, I've watched that movie lots of times for sure. Right. And neither of neither. Right. And what we see in Hollywood that I think has not been necessarily focused on as much is that none of these characters are perfect and neither are we. And so one of the doorways I try to help people open to themselves is, first of all, another way to say perfection is pure fiction. Um, And there's just no such thing as it. So it's like, you know, getting over our inner perfectionist like has to be an inner goal for a lot of people. And so part of that is opening that doorway and exploring what are other people's flaws? What are other people's areas of improvement that they must do in order to, you know, they must move past or they must figure out a way to cope with it or reinforce it or do something in order to get their goal. And that's true for all of us as well. It was true for me, certainly with the 20, with the panic attacks. 
Um, and it's, you know, you can see Ke- Kevin Costner, you know, or uh, the bodyguards flaws. You can see Whitney Houston's characters flaws, Jason Bourne's, Aaron Brockovich's, Akila Anderson, you know, everyone. And so when you look at different people, you start going, oh yeah, all these guys <laughs> have, have something that they're, t- that they must get over. Well, okay, then it's okay. I can tell you that I'm actually very, you know, stubborn or whatever the thing is. Right. And so how do we, make it all work together to get to that successful outcome. Yeah. I talk about uh, my Angelou and Tom Hanks, who were both, you know, speaking very openly about feeling like imposters themselves and didn't realize, you know, that was going to happen to them, but they were able to push through and still do amazing things in their lives. I love all of this so much, and I may have you back for another episode because I think there's so much stuff we didn't get to today, but I'd like to transition into the Rise Up and Be Visible quick tips now and ask you the questions that I ask all guests on the show. So the first one, visibility is? An act of courage, terror, or joy, depending on who you are. Wow. (laughs) That is fascinating. Okay. Can you say more about that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think being visible can be fun, delightful, joyful. Like I want to be seen, hear me sing this karaoke song. Let me share this post. Let me share, you know, this podcast, right? It can be joyful and wonderful. Um, It can also be scary. Um, So maybe there's a need for courage and bravery and, uh, you know, just like, sitting side by side with our imposter syndrome and our, our, you know, fear voice, you know, chatting in our ear. And I think it also, for some people, visibility being visible can be an absolute terror because of much greater fears, uh, and, and, um, and beliefs, uh, subscribed or real or false. Uh, so I think it can be all of those things depending on who you are and maybe even depending on who you are in a particular context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So what have you done to be visible out in the world? So what I've done is get, I have gotten really clear. I've cultivated certainty and clarity on who I am and what I want to say to the world. I think that visibility without a message is a waste of space. Yeah, because otherwise you're just talking, right? Nobody, and I, I believe... Truly, when I talk to people about how to be succinct, how to have a clear message, you know, even presenting in front of their boss or having a one-on-one or presenting in front of a group, I try to give them a little framework to follow because otherwise the person doesn't understand what you're even talking about. (laughs) So, you know, you want to have a good way to do it, right? So I think Mm -hmm. in, in corporate or outside, wherever you may be trying to be visible, I think it's important to have that in your head and have some clarity about what you want to say and prepare and make it as simple as possible so that they can follow along with you and give you what you need, whether it's a decision, you know, they just want to help you move forward, approval, whatever that is. Definitely. And it's definitely such a valuable skill. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Next question. What is the best leadership advice or career advice you've received? I, one is coming to mind that recently I have heard and received is actually from Marie Forleo. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase this. Uh, she says, <laughs> basically, mm-hmm. to not market the bejesus out of your business or service is to rob the people who need 
you most for how you can make their life better with that business or service. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think about, uh, so I'm sure you're very familiar with Mike Michalowicz because of AJ, uh, but Mike Michalowicz, when he first came mm-hmm. to speak to us, he's an entrepreneur, has many books that he has uh, written with AJ. If you're not familiar with him, uh, you should definitely read his books. They're really funny. Uh, but what he said to us is, if you write a good book, you have a responsibility to get it out in front of people so that they can hear your message, learn about you if they don't know you, maybe you want to work with you, but it's your responsibility. And I think that had just really hit home with me so, so much that I know I can't hide it at my house, right? I can't hide at home and not get out and talk about what's in the book and find ways for it to get in front of more people to help them. So I totally agree with Marie for sure. <laughs> and the way she says it is just so piercing. You're like, Ooh. I know. I don't want to rob anybody of things. Right. <laughs> I was looking at some personal brand statements for a program that I put together a couple months ago and I saw hers and I thought, wow, like she is definitely on point with the right words, very succinct, but it's very impactful when you read it for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last question. And this one might be hard because I'm guessing you probably have lots of books around you and in your world, but what is a book that you would recommend to the audience to read? Um, yes, I just want to acknowledge it is very hard. And especially because I've <laughs> edited, I've done developmental editing and book doctoring for, I think, five or six books already this year. <laughs> so oh, wow. a lot of those I'm really excited about. Um, but one that I have read actually that is out there that someone else can pick up and read now that I'm really excited about is Swimmer Diana Nyad. N-Y-A-D, her book, Find a Way, just grabbed me and would not let me go. And in fact, they shot a movie with her and starring Annette Benning and Jodie Foster here in the Dominican Republic last year, a movie or a documentary. Um, and she is a woman who sw- got it in her head that <laughs> she, was, she was a professional swimmer and then um, tried to swim from Cuba to Miami and then did not swim for 20 years, 20 years. And like in her 70s, decided she wanted to pick up this goal and swim from Cuba to Miami because she didn't, she wasn't able to complete the trip the first time. And this book is about the insane, insane, crazy things she did that are just unbelievable. And it's like, if you're a person with a crazy goal and you are looking for some inspiration, You've got to see what she did. You've got to hear what she did. And it took her several years to do this trip. And she learned more and more each time. And she had dangerous jellyfish, which like they're a kind of gel. I don't know. And they talk about it in the book that where, and then she was like swimming in it, like with this, they had to, she had to make up like this suit that didn't exist in order to be okay with a jellyfish. And it was like, it took several days to do the swim and she wanted to do it nonstop. I mean, it's just like insane. I mean, I guess which someone, somebody could say about my my journey as well, but like, (laughs) I wanted to hear somebody more insane than me. And so I pick her and I I liked her. I liked her book and her story. And that, that is, you know, that is the crux of what stories do. They, uh, they allow us to see ourselves or someone else in a situation that we don't think they are ever going to complete the, the thing. And then they do. And we're just like, 
oh my God, could I do it too and apply it to my thing? And that to me is what storytelling and what being connected to each other and the Hollywood approach and the community that we have is all about. I love that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause I like to help people operate in possibilities, right? That, you know, where they are today does not mean they have to stay there. Just like you talked about, you don't have to live in Chicago or Green Bay. You can live in the Dominican Republic if you want to. And it's all about setting goals and taking small actions to get there. And, um, it can be easier than you realize. I think we make it really hard in our head. We create these stories that hold us back and it just makes it a challenge for us to, to make these goals like Diana did and really achieve them. So, oh my gosh, I'm excited to read that. I haven't read it myself. So excited to read her book and be inspired. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. You are a gifted storyteller and AJ was so right about you know, helping you become this developmental editor. I'm sure you're helping so many people with their books, their stories, um, helping companies show up differently because of the work that you're doing. And I definitely want to have you back because I know that we only touched the surface of all of the things that you could share with the audience today. And I'm so, so grateful to have met you and to have you on the show. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Perhaps our, um, I'd love to do an encore show with you. Perhaps it could be in the Dominican Republic. I can set you up in a studio here. (laughs) Okay. You're tempting me now. Okay. (laughs) I have never been. So that would be very fun. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. That I'll put that on the goal list. (laughs) All right. Very good. Sounds awesome. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thanks everybody for joining today on the Visibility Factor podcast and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Visibility Factor podcast. Remember that visibility starts with small steps that are intentional and consistent each day. Be bold, be visible, be the leader you were meant to be. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which are highlighted in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visibility Factor podcast.